friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in my bedroom in Amiskwichi, Wiskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, here in Treaty 6 territory. And today we're talking about a day that will live in infamy. And, uh, and really, what better way is there to announce the largest mass firing in Alberta's history than on a Saturday afternoon, with 15 minutes notice to the school boards and doing it via tweet? That is how Jason Kenney announced the firing of 26,000 K-12 educational workers. And there was no press conference. The justification beyond it is a, a very stupid wave to the notion that this money would be repurposed towards the coronavirus response. Uh, economist Trevor Toome said, quote, This alone is 1% of the entire province's labor force. Massive scale, unquote. For a government and a politician in Kenny who said he was laser-focused on job creation, it is truly something else to see him firing one out of every 100 workers in just one fell swoop. He is a, a truly legendary piece of shit. And to help us process this, we've got someone on the line who has to deal with the fallout from this brutal decision. We're very lucky to have Edmonton Public School Board trustee Bridget Sterling on the pod. Bridget, welcome to the Progress Report. Hi, thanks. Duncan, good to talk to you today. Yes, thanks so much for coming on on short notice. I know you're still in the midst of dealing with all this, but before even that, are you staying healthy? You're self-isolating? Yeah, uh, I think like a lot of people, I'm in a higher risk category, so I'm spending a lot of time hanging out at my house with my dog. Uh, My dog is living her best life right now. Uh, But yeah, we're doing okay. We're staying healthy. The doggos are definitely getting a lot more daytime attention than I think they are usually accustomed to, which, you know, good for them. At least there's at least there's one upside to all this. So one upside to this whole coronavirus social distancing hell that we're going through right now is that uh, my cousin had to cancel her gender reveal party. So there's at least kind of like one that that and the doggos getting more attention. You know, we've got to find our small wins. Um. So where do you want to start? Like, what's the damage here? You're you're the second largest public school board in the province, right? And and kind of maybe just walk us. You've had, I mean, you've only had a, a few days to kind of process this, but you are better equipped than most to kind of like walk us through what the actual physical, like consequences of this are going to be. Yeah, and we're we're still trying to figure out all of the consequences ourselves. But what we do know is uh, pretty dire. So we received the message from. Uh, the deputy, we received sort of a short message from the minister and then a message from the deputy minister with the details of what we were being expected to uh, to cut over the weekend. Uh, we received that, I think, as you said, we had very, very short notice Saturday morning, only shortly before um, the information went out, or Saturday afternoon, before the information went out to the general public. So what we've been told is that there are two reductions, one of which is 14% reduction to our monthly allocations for the base instruction grant, which is the bulk of uh, education funding to public school boards for operational funding, and the other one which is a uh, 51% uh, reduction to transportation funding. But the biggest impact of that is the reduction to the base instruction grant And I think what a lot of people don't know about schools, perhaps, is that when we're talking about our funding, the vast majority of that is those two salaries. Um, 
education, like most caring professions, is really people-intensive. And uh, when we're talking salaries, what we're really talking about, of course, is jobs and workers, right? It's very easy to sort of talk about these numbers in the abstract, um, but they really are about people's lives and people's jobs. Uh, and the message specifically directed school divisions to cut jobs for um, substitute teachers, educational assistants, uh, non-essential support staff, and for those divisions that employ bus drivers directly, uh, bus drivers. So, um, and very specifically, it said that uh, we are to limit the use of substitute teachers, um, give layoff notices to educational assistants and uh, any, what they deem non-essential support staff. Uh, we don't think most of those workers are, uh, are non-essential, but um, the government's determination of non-essential, of course, is very different than perhaps ours might be. So let's just round that up again. So the people being laid off are substitute teachers, educational assistants, admin st or non-essential admin and support staff, uh, bus drivers, if they are employed directly by the school board, and janitorial too, custodial? Well, we, we don't know for sure yet because what, what followed this message, and, and this is part of why this has been an incredibly frustrating situation, is initially it was very directive saying these specific groups of people. Now what's come back to us is, well, no, you might not have to lay off. All of the people in those categories, you can do whatever you need to do to meet the 14% reduction which means we could look more broadly at other staff groups, but that doesn't mean that that won't mean layoffs across staff groups, right? They're having more flexibility with a 14% reduction in the grant still means um, cuts to staffing inevitably wherever those people work. So whether we talk about um, educational assistants or um, custodial workers or maintenance workers or um, teachers or anybody else, those are all important education workers who are currently working like crazy to support the education of our kids. Yeah, and that's an excellent segue to the, like, the, the natural follow-up question, right? Like we know how these workers are being affected. They're getting cruelly laid off in the middle of, a, of an incredibly uncertain time. But how is this going to affect students as well? Yeah, and I, some of the confusion around this, I think, stems from a misperception of what's happening in schools right now. I think a lot of people in the province, maybe if they don't have kids, think that schools are closed. Um, schools aren't closed. Our school buildings are closed, but we have been given very, very clear direction from the, from the ministry that we are to ensure, to ensure continuity of learning. So what that means is we need to shift to some form of distance education, whether that's online learning or for students who, in areas, who live in areas where there isn't good internet access or whose families don't have internet access. Um, providing other forms of at-home learning materials so that those kids can continue to be educated. Right? We think it's really important to continue education. You know, children have limited windows of time, and uh, we want to make sure that we continue their learning. Um, so those workers have been um, hard at work in a lot of different ways, uh, ensuring that we can be ready to provide education to kids. Right. So. Parents are at home, and parents are really good experts in their own kids generally, right? They, they know their child really well. Parents are not um, trained as teachers, and, and they're also not trained uh, necessarily if they're parents of children with disabilities or things like that on how to um, 
modify classroom materials uh, to support the learning needs of a child. Um, families may not have um, technology in their home, and so they may need some help uh, getting access to technology or access to the internet, a whole bunch of different things, right? So uh, all of these folks have been continuing to provide support to kids as we've been transitioning into this um, new learning environment. Um, you know, online learning isn't free. You know, it's not necessarily more simple or more, um, you know, more easy to provide particularly when we're talking about children, that's a very different context than it is for adult learners. Yeah, are you saying it's like harder to wrangle like nine-year-olds on a Zoom call than it is a bunch of like adults? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not gonna lie, a lot of nine-year-olds are pretty adept at technology, but uh, you know, keeping kids engaged and uh, figuring out how to teach uh, online is actually pretty complicated, especially with younger grades. Um, you know, with our younger kids, a lot of our learning is um, activity-based and play-based instruction for the very early years. That's our, you know, our kinders and grade ones, we do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's one thing to give kids assigned reading. It's another thing to try to do a classroom science project over Zoom or that kind of stuff, right? So we're trying to figure out how do we adapt all of these things teachers do um, to distance delivery is actually quite complex. And the example of the educational assistants, too, of, of these kind of people being earmarked to be laid off, I mean, I, I think we really, the broader public, if you're not kind of directly working with these people or aware of the work they do, they are absolutely crucial to folks with disabilities so that they can go to school and learn, right? And I think that there was a, a viral kind of like Twitter thread over the weekend that really did um, kind of make this point and it was from a parent named Dwayne Freese. Um and we will put the Twitter thread in our in our show notes but it starts out like this it says dear minister Adriana Lagrange this is our seven-year-old nonverbal daughter interacting with her educational assistant last week from home her educational assistant modifies classwork to allow her to keep up with community school peers your announcement today to NDA support is devastating for our family and others our daughter, because of Rett syndrome, has severe gross motor impairment, but no cognitive impairment. Her EA modifies work for her eye gaze and has been providing daily support to us through the COVID pandemic. And it goes into the kind of further details about how even from a distance, these EAs are working with this girl to make sure that she continues to learn. Yeah, for sure. And our and that's that's one very excellent example of how EI, the EA is supporting both the child in their learning and the teacher in the provision of learning, right? That they are um, a really key part of that child's whole educational team um, to ensure that that child gets the same uh, fair access and equitable access to education as another child. Um, when we think about other kids, um, you think about a child with autism, uh, for a lot of autistic children, um, stability and security in their environment is really important. And this disruption already to going to school and learning, uh, and then maybe being at home has already been a huge adjustment for a lot of children. Uh, and that relationship they have with an EA who may have a lot of expertise and training in supporting children with autism, um, having that stable person continue to have that relationship with them is really critical. Uh, for um, 
a student with um, severe dyslexia. I was chatting with a friend this morning about her experiences with her children. Um, her child may spend um, pull-out reading time with an educational assistant who has expertise in working with students who have uh, learning disabilities. And uh, not having that opportunity, uh, continuing at a distance to spend that one-on-one -on -one time with the EA additional and in support of the time that the teacher spends with the child is hugely important in that child continuing to gain ground on literacy. Um, and we know like being able to read is fundamental to having um, access to opportunity in adult life, right? Like it's a huge, and if we fall behind on that children's uh, development of their literacy skills, they may never regain that ground, or it may be incredibly hard to gain that back after a substantial gap in that support. Yeah, like like the possible long-term consequences of this are, are extremely dire for like a generation of kids. And it's not, it's almost impossible for me to not read this decision in the most kind of like critical way possible. Like, I don't know how we can look at this and and not be mad, right? But I, I look at a government that right now has pulled together a panel to talk about how to... Um, uh, restart the economy after the end of a crisis like this, right? That it said, how are we going to get businesses back on the feet, their feet after this? And we're going to pull together this huge fancy panel to get through this now. And yet seems to think that it's appropriate during a crisis of this nature to stop thinking about um, how we make sure that kids get through this in the best shape possible so that they have continue to have um, a future opportunity and they're continue to be able to have access to a meaningful and fulfilling life after this pandemic. Like, how can we have the foresight to say, we want to help um, all these businesses and corporations survive this situation, and yet we can't think about, you know, how do we make sure our kids come out of this in the best possible shape possible? Like, the priorities seem really messed up. This claim that we need to claw away resources from children for an immediate short-term need, and yet we can already be talking about how we help corporate interests survive afterwards. It's incredibly short-sighted. Yeah, what will we do about the oil and gas industry, Bridget? I mean, come on, we've got our priorities here as a, as a UCP government. I mean, the other dark, you know, cynical reading of this is that this is, you know, the shock doctrine being played out, right? Never waste a crisis. And there's a very real scenario that exists that a, a huge chunk of these people are just never going to come back to work and that these, these cuts can be permanent in the, in this context. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that in the light of uh, what we know already we're going to be facing in the 2020, 2021 school year uh, after the spring budget, which was already founded in ridiculous assumptions about oil prices and revenues, but um, we already had seen substantial cuts to education again, and um, school divisions now have, no longer have the reserves they used to fill in the gap this year, so this is kind of compounding. And so we knew that in the fall we were likely to see um, substantial job losses in education, and I can't help but think that it's very convenient for this government to force massive layoffs now so that there's not that uh, bad news story in the fall when those workers are just not hired back. It's a lot harder to tell the story of people who just aren't hired back than to talk clearly about what's happening with the impact of layoffs in the fall. Right? It allows them to detach the story of their cuts um, from 
uh, from the layoffs, right? So they can say, oh, no, 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 that was the pandemic layoffs. That's nothing to do with our cuts. Yeah, right. Like, like this is a this pandemic is an excuse to not only speed up the timeline of their austerity, but to like do austerity on steroids, like to make it even bigger and, and worse than was originally announced in what was already really fucking bad. Right. Like school boards were already like this summer was going to be a bloodbath when it came to firing teachers and educational assistants and admin and support staff and janitorial folks like anyone who had a job in the educational system like you could be laid off this summer and. And now it seems even more likely. And not only that, like you may never get a job again, right? Well, when we talk about this idea of non-essential staff, uh, through sort of last year's cuts, plus a longer-term trend of austerity and education uh, going back for decades, um, you know, most divisions have very few non-essential staff left, right? Like we are, we have cut down. Um, in incredible ways, um, I know for us already this year because of the anticipated, because of the cuts in the fall and then the anticipated cuts to come, we had already been scaling everything back and trimming everything back to the essentials. So to then take another 14%, um, there's, not, there's not a lot of non-essential here that we're talking about. Like, I don't consider our workers to be non-essential. Yeah. So, okay. Here's the tweet that announced the biggest mass layoff in Alberta history. This is uh, from the Twitter account of Education Minister Adriana Lagrange, and I think it's worth reading out just to get a peek into the uh, the officially the official version of events for why they're doing this. Our number one priority continues to be the safety of all Albertans, including our students and teachers. That's why we are temporarily adjusting payments to school authorities to further support Alberta's COVID nineteen AB response. More information here. Blah 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 blah. The frame that they're using is that we're cutting funding to our education system because we need the money to fight the coronavirus. I mean, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I don't buy it. <laughs> I I don't buy it because they're also continuing to go ahead with other cuts in healthcare. Um. Also, you know, you think about um, Trevor Chim's very excellent thread about you know. This isn't really like that's not how government budgets work. You don't just, you know, take the education money and put it back over here. Um, money is fungible, which is something that Jason, which is something that Jason Kenny has said a bunch of times, actually. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think this is really about COVID nineteen response. I think this is really about um, making up for the fact that this government rushed through uh, a budget with terrible assumptions uh, on the. Uh, resource royalties, and uh, at the same time as they've continued with their their massive tax giveaways, so they've cut themselves massively on the revenue side and made some really poor assumptions on what was going to be coming in through resource royalties. Um, so they've dug themselves into a situation where through these things, uh, their numbers don't work, and for whatever ridiculous reason, push through a budget anyways. Um, and they're now in the situation where rather than doing what I think most sensible governments would do in this situation, which is look at borrowing and look at revenues um, to figure out how you're going to fund a crisis. Uh, instead, um, they're going out and they're looking anywhere they can uh, to get uh, costs off their books. And what this really is, seems to be about to me is taking the cost of all of these uh, workers who are actually doing 
meaningful and important work in supporting children uh, and instead taking them out of jobs where they're actually doing work, you know, these are working people, uh, and instead putting them onto the responsibility of the federal government by pushing them off onto employment insurance and the uh, emergency benefit program, right? So it's just a way of um, shifting the costs onto a different government so then they can blame a different government for the debt. Yeah, like, like laying off tens of thousands of Albertans doesn't make them more safe in any way, right? It makes them panicky, anxious, scared that their government is abandoning them, abandoning them during a crisis. And and it is when you look at it, it seems like just an extremely cynical and contemptible move, right? To 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 essentially foist all these people off onto the shitty and labyrinthine EI program and say, hey, federal government, deal with it. Deal with it. Here's 26,000 new people. Go nuts. This is going to affect uh, all other Albertans who are trying to access EI, EI because of what's happened with their jobs right now, too. You dump another suddenly 26,000 people into the system, you're going to slow it all down. You're going to make it even harder for people, right? And, um, you know, you're not, you're not making it work better. And at the same time, what we've seen from the federal government is um, the announcement of a 75%, you know, people had to fight to get it to 75%, but a 75% wage subsidy to employers. And they just said this morning, um, no matter what the size of the employer, um, so that they could avoid laying off workers. Because what the feds are saying is, don't lay off workers, keep them working if you can. Um, it's better to keep people uh, employed, even if their hours are scaled back, even if you're paying them their wages and they're only working a few hours a week. It is better to keep people on the payroll system rather than dumping more people into EI. So at the same time as the feds are saying, keep your workers, keep people employed, do whatever you can to avoid laying people off. You could even rehire people that you laid off in the last two weeks so you can keep them on payroll systems. We've got the provincial government kicking, you know, you know, tens of thousands of workers off the public um, payroll system where they are employed, they're working and they're doing meaningful work into federal support and aid systems that are already overstretched. And I don't think this is going to be the end of the provincial layoff. You know, I think there's probably more public sector layoffs coming across the GOA employees as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out this is all being done despite Education Minister Adriana Lagrange saying on March 15th, like literally just two weeks ago, that school boards would receive their full funding for the school year. I will work with school authorities throughout this process, and school authorities will receive their full allotment of funding for the 2019-2020 school year. Okay, so I got to bring it up. And, you know, the, the, the fact that this promise was broken so fast... And the fact that this government is, seems to be reacting to bad news in shittier and shittier ways, is this is this the proverbial dead cat on the table to distract us from Health Minister Tyler Shandro making an embarrassment of himself and yelling at a doctor and having that become like blowing up to be a province-wide news story? You know, I've heard some speculation on it, this, and it may be that the choice of timing on it. Um, on when to announce it was, was sort of a dead cat scenario, but I actually think this was planned earlier. Um, I think this may have been in the works since the school closure decision was made um, to um, have 
these workers continue working to sort of get through the initial transition period and then to force layoffs. So I'm, you know, I've, I've heard the speculation about the dead cat scenario, and I think the announcement timing may very accurately be that, but I, I'm not sure that this decision wasn't made sooner than this, and the announcement was just held until the weekend because it was, uh, or made was made on this weekend because it was uh, convenient timing to announce something of that nature. I think it might have originally been planned to have been announced alongside other uh, layoffs across the public sector. I mean, I have an extremely low opinion of our government, so I mean, nothing surprises me. Uh, I, I mean, it would be surely an incredible fucking thing if they laid off twenty six thousand people purely for news cycle bullshit. Uh, I mean, it's it's possible, but um, yeah, maybe the announcement was affected by the uh, the news of our health minister doing some uh, some driveway canvassing of his of his uh, neighborhood doctor. Yeah. Well, and the other the other piece of that that commitment that was made a couple of weeks ago is, um, you know, whether whether or not we should have, I don't know, but we we believed the minister's promises on that. And so, when school divisions started developing their plans on how to deliver education to children, we made those plans, um, believing that we would have our educational assistants and office administrators and bus drivers and. Uh, for, for divisions that do directly employ bus drivers. Um, Edmonton Public doesn't, but other, other divisions do. Um, custodial workers, all of these people um, to help support that work, right? So our schools still continue to need to be cleaned. We do still have some, some workers working on site and uh, also in light of a pandemic, you need to do a deep cleaning. Uh, but our... Uh, our other workers are a big part of this. So EAs are an important part of how we've determined how to deliver education at a distance. Uh, but so are office administrators who have been working hard to do things like find um, contact families who they think may not have or to find out whether they have access to appropriate technology. And for those who don't to find, um, you know, Chromebooks or other technology to figure out ways for them to get internet access, all of these things, uh, you know, in the city, some of those office workers, and then um, in rural areas, some of the, the bus drivers and other workers have been doing things like ensuring that families who depended on nutrition programs were still, still able to get access to food, right? We saw in um, Medicine Hat, I think, uh, the bus drivers who work for the school division working with the local food bank to help families get access to food. Um, they're also helping deliver educational materials because while in the city, even if a family doesn't have a home internet, there may be other places they can go to access it. In rural Alberta, there are parts of rural Alberta where there's just no internet access. It doesn't matter how much money you have, there's just no local internet access or it's unreliable, and so they're delivering educational materials. Right. So the, it's not just that, that so we sort of were mad because we're losing funding. The problem is, is that we have made our plans on how to keep delivering education to kids based on expecting that we have a team of people to deliver it with, and now suddenly we're going to be missing huge chunks of those teams. No, it's a betrayal. It's an utter betrayal of, of families, of workers, of students. You know, they went back on their word two weeks after making it, and the effects, I think, are going to gonna roil through this province for years to come. And and I think, 
like the scale of this i think is is to be it is it is hard to believe like when you look at the biggest layoffs in canadian history there is really only one in the kind of short time uh, that i did the research for this uh that really seems to be higher and that is the collapse in cod stocks in newfoundland and labrador in the early 90s and the federal government announced their immediate moratorium on cod fishing that threw out about 38,000 people out of work. That's the only mass layoff I can find that is larger than this one. Yeah, and I, I think even with those, those were sort of over over short periods of time. This one, I mean, depending on how you count it, right, school divisions will now have to, to go through and actually start laying people off. But um, you know, when you think about a one-day layoff, there are very few moments in Canadian history that have ever come close to this. Yeah, like other big ones are like Target, when Target shut their doors in 2015. Um, you know, we've got AV Row Canada, which was the manufacturer of the uh, Avro Aero. Um, when Eaton's went bankrupt, laid people off, they laid off 13,000 people across the country. Um, you know, Air Canada, Air Canada around September 11th. Again, this is kind of over a year-long period, 13,000 people again. Like... Anyways, what were you going to say? I was going to say, you look at how this government recently responded to uh, layoffs of 6,000 people at WestJet, which is an Alberta-based company, and their promises uh, to work to help WestJet uh, in light of that kind of massive layoff, and then for them to turn around and do the same thing to education workers in this province. But, you know, you claim to be job creators, right? But... Uh, I don't know. I'm not not seeing that job Thomas out of putting 26,000 maybe families uh, into the precarious situation of being out of work. And I'll add, most of the workers who will face layoffs through this are some of the lowest wage workers in education. Right? They're they're vital parts of what we do, but they're you know the average um, annual income for an educational assistant in Alberta I think is about $27,000 a year. The ones most likely to be laid off are early career ones as well, who haven't gone up the scale. Yeah, exactly. So the earlier in a career somebody is, um, you know, they tend to be uh, very often women who are doing these jobs, um, often, um, you know, taking this work on because they are, um, they care a lot about children and they want to do that work and they want to be in the school. A lot of people get into being educational assistants through um, being involved in their own child's school. Um, you know, and they're really, really important parts of what we do. Um, but they are often the more precarious and low-wage workers in the system. You know, so they're families who are already often, you know, they're not people who have a lot of savings to fall back on right now or um, have a lot of resources to help them get them through. It, it is it is truly contemptible actions from this government. Um, so, okay, I mean, the, the way I want to close, right, is like, how do we organize? Like, how do we fight back? Well, and I'm, you know, I've been really thinking about how to do that, Duncan, because we are all, and I think that's part of why this kind of shock action is taking right now is we are all very, very atomized, right? We are in our homes. We're in a context where there are public health orders in place that say we can't gather in groups of more than 15. Um, 
where social distancing means we need to all be a couple of meters apart while we do that, you know, you can't get right now 10,000 Albertans on the steps of the legislature like we had just a few weeks ago, right? You can't um, hold a town hall for parents to talk about the impact like a lot of uh, school boards and school board trustees have been doing over the last few months to talk about what's happening in education. And so we're really trying to hard to figure out how to communicate the impacts and how to help people respond um, in a time when, you know, what do we do? Post angry things on Twitter, uh, send emails, go yell on a minister's front driveway. Apparently that's acceptable behavior. <laughs> it, it is really, really challenging to organize right now. Um, what I have seen people doing is doing things like organizing um, uh, phoning campaigns uh, where they are overwhelming uh, MLA's offices with phone calls or or contacting people in other ways to um, to kind of get the message out. But I think we have to be really creative right now in how to organize. But um, it is it is really hard when people are isolated in their homes and feeling uh, pretty alone already. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it is hard. But I, I think where it has to start is, you know building a coalition between parents and workers, and that includes teachers, but not, but also all of the other workers, as you talked about, and, and the kids and the students. Like, I think some of the most effective actions are the ones that are led by the kids, you know, with the help and kind of done in concert with, um, you know, both parents and the workers. Yeah, and we have these kind of uh, broad organizations and coalitional groups out there. Right. We have, um, you know, the labor unions and what I really, really, really hope is that, that uh, the ATA um, takes clear and decisive action in support of other education workers because um, they're, you know, ATA members may be a bit less at risk in these layoffs to some extent, although substitute teachers will certainly be impacted. But I hope that um, labor organizations are going to work in solidarity with each other, uh, but also reach out to other groups. Right. There are. Um, parents and community groups out there who are really, really powerful in the way they organize. I think about uh, Inclusion Alberta's leadership on the fight against seclusion rooms. I think about the work that, um, uh, you know, school councils can do in organizing their communities. I think about the work that kids have done, uh, students have done together uh, through groups like their GSAs and things like that uh, to organize resistance in the past. And so those networks are going to be really important. Um, and I think it's a good example right now of why that uh, organizing and solidarity building all the time, whatever the circumstances and whatever we're facing, is really important even in the good times because that's what's going to help us be able to organize and fight back during a time like this. Yeah, and, and I think it's, um, the, I mean, we also can't ignore the work of Support Our Students Alberta who have kind of done incredible work working with parents and breaking down how kind of messed up our educational system is. Yeah, SOS has been an incredible voice on this. I, I have to say they are, um, they've driven so much of this conversation. Uh, they've really been trying to call people's attention to austerity and education and, and uh, in what's coming. Um, and I say I was having a conversation with someone from SOS recently, and um, I was talking about how um, you know, this government is going to use this time of change to try to uh, to shock 
the system, right, to, to sort of bring in these sort of neoliberal policies, this extreme austerity. You know, we know that that's part of kind of a playbook. Uh, but what does it look like if we also take advantage of the moment of, um, of change that's happening here, right? So if, you know, these sort of destructive forces have um, historically learned to take advantage of moments of crisis and moments of um, transition, what does it look like if we come out of this um, ready to fight and do the same, right? Like, what does it mean if we use this time and opportunity and space uh, to demand something better? Um, if you look at the 1918 flu pandemic, uh, that was followed by the Winnipeg general strike, right? What does it look like when we come out of this um, ready to fight too? And I think we need to remember that uh, the opportunity for uh, massive change doesn't just go one way. Yeah, never waste a crisis, right? And I think we do need to remind ourselves that austerity is a, is a feature and not a bug of capitalism, right? It is it is a constant reality that our capitalist society is going to kind of cut back uh, public services as much as they can get away with. And uh, yes, I mean, I think, and I think we're also seeing in real time <laughs> what can happen to an economy and to society and to the powers that be when regular ass people don't show up to work right like we are seeing in real time what happens to the gears of our you know this incredibly complex you know economic machine that we've built that um you know when (laughs) when the sanitation workers are now critical infrastructure when the grocery store workers are now critical infrastructure um you know, when educational assistants are now critical infrastructure, now that we've actually realized that, I think it's time to actually realize that those folks and that us together, we have more power now than we've ever had at kind of any point. And it is it is incumbent upon us to realize that we have that power and to flex it and to exercise it. Yeah, and this is, you know, this is the moment when capitalism is going to try to take up just enough stuff from socialism to save itself. You know, it's gonna it's gonna take up just enough of these kinds of policies to get through the crisis, and uh, and then and then they're gonna try to take these things away from us again, right? And uh, we have to demand that, that these things stay in place, right? Why why don't we have um, a system that supports all workers who lose their employment all the time, right? Why don't we have um, decent living wages for um, people who work in grocery stores all the time, right? Why does it have to take hero pay? You know, these are the questions that I think are being exposed. Um, you know, and I think we have to say, you know, you don't just get to to bring in a little bit of socialism to save yourself right now. Like, you know, we're, we're going to demand a better world all the time. Yeah, right. And, and socialism isn't just the government paying for stuff. Uh, I mean, if we really wanted to do socialism right now, like, yeah, like, let's let's buy up well, all of the oil companies, I mean, I think you can get a pretty good deal on them at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, there's some airlines really struggling right now. Maybe we could uh, go back to nationalizing some airlines. Real socialism, baby. Okay. Uh, the, the kind of, let's, let's also just kind of end on a, like, how do we kind of immediately fight back to, like, like we've got an email tool. You can, like, email your MLA about paid sick leave. Uh, I saw a suggestion from Dwayne Freezy, the, the, the father we spoke about early earlier in the in the interview talking about 
how um, if you're a family, you know, working with an EA this week, uh, photograph your sessions and explain to the public what it is that, that your EA did and does and kind of just for people to really like understand what it is that like these are, as you said, critical workers, essential services. I, I think it's if you are one of those workers, I want to hear your story. I want to know what it is that you're doing and how important it is to keep our education system working. Yeah, and and I think don't like definitely put that stuff up on social media because that's one of the really important ways that people are staying connected right now. Also, like tell your friends, your family, and your neighbors. Right. Um, I always remind parents when we're talking about organizing that um, grandparents are powerful, right? Aunties and uncles are powerful. Um, the family members and friends of education workers are powerful voices, right? Like we need to remember to continue not only to, to use social media, but also to reach out through our phone calls and, you know, conversations from the end of the driveway while we're waving goodbye after we drop off the groceries to grandma or whatever we're doing um, to really help people understand um, that education hasn't stopped in Alberta, that education workers still matter in Alberta, that they are part of how we will survive this thing. Um, I think also emails are awesome. Um, phone calls are even better. Right? They, take up, they take up a lot of time. They take up energy. Um, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that you can keep doing right now. Yes, you're, you're mostly at home and you're, you're doing the social distancing thing to keep safe, but like, we can still talk to each other. You know, this, this whole idea of um, being apart but being together is really, really powerful right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Bridget, thanks so much for coming on. I think that's where we're going to, I think that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, how can people follow along with you on social media? What's the best way to keep track of you and what you're saying to the world? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big loudmouth on Twitter um, and at Bridget Sterling on Twitter. I'm sure you can drop that into the show notes too. So I'm trying to raise, uh, attention information there. I have a, a public page as a trustee on Facebook as well. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, we're trying to also communicate to our families in Edmonton Public Schools. So um, they should be watching for some messages coming out from the full board this week, not just from the chair, but from the, the board as a whole talking about the situation while we continue to be having conversations with our families. Um, you know, but yeah, Twitter Twitter's probably my most loud, most place. Oh yeah, my Twitter time has gone way, way up. Uh, much to my detriment. And my screen time too. I think we should there should be an option to just get rid of the screen time update you get on your iPhone every week. Oh yeah, no, that's really depressing right now. Don't look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and folks out there, if you like this podcast and you want to keep hearing it, there are a few things you can do to make sure that this you know keeps happening on a regular basis. Uh, the easiest, best thing for you to do is that if you like this podcast and you want more people to listen to it, share it. However you share it, whether it's you know, you're on our page, you're going to our page, you're sharing the URL, whether you're just in your iPhone uh, or whatever it is, your podcast app, and directly sharing this podcast with a friend, whether you're posting about it, talking about it, word of mouth is really the like strongest and best way to, uh, to help us out. Another really kind of easy, granular thing you can do for us is leave a review. Uh, if you leave a review, not just a star review, but also a few sentences about why you think we are uh, good and useful and people should listen to us, that also really helps as well. And finally, the other thing that you can do that uh, really also helps us out is you can support us financially. If you're able to, 
a small monthly donation, five, ten dollars a month, really does, uh, really does help us out, and really does provide social proof to the rest of the folks out there that we are doing important independent media work. Because at the end of the day, this is a pretty small independent media project. Also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear about, uh, either related to this podcast or anything else. You can reach me on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at DuncanK at ProgressAlberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thanks so much to Bridget Sterling for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. Did you know that Progress Alberta is part of a national community of leftist podcasts on the Ricochet Podcast Network? You can find the Alberta Advantage, 49th Parahel, Kino Lefter, Well Reds, The Progress Report, Les Ficelles, Out of Left Field, and Unpacking the News as well as a bunch of other awesome podcasts at Ricochet Media or wherever you download your podcasts.